Yo, is this seat taken? Uh, yeah, it is. This week, the seat is taken by Trista Baker. She is an industry professional. Um, she is the founder, co-founder of, founder. Founder yeah. of Restaurant Culture Association, which is helping to change the culture of sexual harassment and many other negative things in the workplace. Yeah. Yeah. Did you nail it? Yeah, you nailed it. Sweet. Knocked it right out. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I just want to talk about Restaurant Culture Association and what made you think of the concept of that and what made you want to start that. And I mean, obviously, I could think of why you wanted to start <laughs> it because I, too, work in the industry. But I don't know. It just came to me. It just came <laughs> <laughs> like a poof out of the air. Yeah. <laughs> Um, no, you know, I think the restaurant culture in Chicago is really singular. It's one of the few places that you can really have a profession and build a career being in restaurants. And there are so many really incredible people that are working in the city as professionals. And they have such incredible intentions and they have really great visions for the cultures that they want to have present in their workplace. But there's just kind of a disconnect, it seems, in terms of finding actionable things to implement to make that their reality. Mm -hmm. So I thought that one of the things that was very much missing was was policy. Um, you know, a lot of people end up just copying and pasting from whatever yeah. restaurant chain or mm -hmm. like large restaurant group they worked for, they copy and paste it and they say, okay, we have policies, we have employee manuals done. Yeah. But there's definitely a better way. Yeah. Yeah. And you can tell when it's copy and pasted, like it's so like dry and like the verbiage is yeah. like from like the fucking late 80s or 90s. And it's and, very gender uh -huh. and it's not very, yeah. And, yeah. and you know, rarely does it ever even have the definition of what sexual harassment is. Yeah. Um, or if, if you're lucky enough to work somewhere that has policy that specifically says that they don't tolerate retribution for reporting, they will, have, I highly doubt that it will say anything about what retribution actually looks like and what form that takes. And that's something that's very much missing. Because, yeah. You know, when you're someone's experiencing sexual harassment, it's completely up to that person's experience of what's happening. It's their perception uh, of what's going on that defines it as sexual yeah, harassment. Totally. Like, you don't have to, someone doesn't have to say like, oh, I'm going to go sexually harass this person. Mm -hmm. Like that intent probably is not there in the majority of instances. Yeah. It's usually, um, I mean, one of the things that I've seen most often in my experience in the restaurant industry is unintentional harm being yeah, perpetuated. Totally. Totally. I mean, that's definitely happened to me and like so many other people I know, like someone's like harassed me and they're like, Oh, I didn't even like, no, it's like, okay, well, so now, you know, <laughs> and it, it, it's like, 
even when it comes to like jokes and stuff like that. It's yeah. Like, like a joke, like someone can tell me a sex joke all day because if you know anything about me, I'm like really into sex jokes. But <laughs> like you can't tell me a sex joke and then like go to the next person and tell them the same thing because they might get offended. Whereas like, I mean, like I have a line, of course, but like, yeah. Sure, we all come from different experiences, Mm -hmm. and we all have vastly different boundaries. Totally. It's just about having a space where you feel very comfortable establishing what your boundaries are. Mm -hmm. And And consent. Yeah. I think that's, like, another thing, like, that I just have, like, crazy deja vu about to say this next sentence. It's, like, I feel like (laughs) um, people, like, in restaurants, they don't, like, establish what, like, consent is. Like, within their um, sexual harassment training manuals. And it's like, Mm -hmm. well, like, first and foremost, before we, like, say anything, you need to, like, let these people know, like, what consent is. Because that's, like, the most important thing. Absolutely. It's like, can I tell this joke? If not, then I'm not going to do it. But if yes, then I, like, am. Yeah, and that's just another, that's another way of, you know, feeling out someone's boundaries and, like, mm-hmm. finding out what is or is not, totally. you know, crossing a line for someone. Totally. Absolutely. So I um, attended your launch party. Was that in September? Remind me. Oh, or was that August? August? Yeah. Later, mid-August? Mm-hmm. It's been a long couple of months. Um, <laughs> and that was, that was, like, a really, like, fun but also interesting <laughs> event. Um, it, it was really cool to see just, like, a panel of, like, people I even know just, like, talk about, like, their experiences and just, like, that was just, like, a taste or, like, launch into what you're eventually yeah trying to do, it sounds like, mm-hmm. and, um, yeah, it was, it was pretty good. It was, it was definitely, like, really triggering at some point. It was, it was really tough, and, you know, anytime you're talking about sexual harassment that's, you know, so incredibly prevalent in the work culture of the restaurant industry, it's going to be difficult and Mm -hmm. uncomfortable for a lot of people. Um, But honestly, I think that that's kind of part of RCA's mission is to make it something that we we can like alleviate some of the stigma. Because like Mm -hmm. I said, so much of the harm that you see is unintentional. And if you're talking about you know, having sexual harassment training or something like that, you know, you're, you're not going to be able to say anything in a two-hour training that's going to stop someone from causing harm if that's their intention. Yeah. But there's nothing you can say to make someone not be a terrible person. No. So, <laughs> that requires therapy, which is right. like a whole different, you're, a you're, that's things. not your work. Right. <laughs> um, but I mean, the people that you can reach and you can, you know, help kind of expand their concept of their own awareness are the people that are perpetuating harm unintentionally Mm -hmm. people that like would never you know actively want to harm someone that's not where they're coming from at all but it's just about how do you frame the discussion in that way to alleviate that side of the stigma where someone can accept that they have caused harm even though they didn't mean to yeah and that's something that we definitely can't get through unless we're talking about this issue yeah, and a lot more. Totally. Candor. With a lot more candor. And- I think that plays into accountability, which is what I've been talking a lot about um, with just, like, you know, my colleagues and friends, like, over the last, 
I don't know, like seven months. And I, I did like a little spiel rant on my Instagram stories, which I tend to do. And it's like a lot of, it comes with like ego, like saying like, you're sorry. Like people don't like to do that because mm -hmm. they don't like to admit that they're wrong. They don't like to hold themselves accountable to like the wrongdoings that they're doing. But and like my whole thing is like, people like we're fucking humans. People fucking make mistakes. And yeah. I think, I think if people like <laughs> were as excited to announce that they're doing this really cool thing as they are excited to announce that like, Hey, I fucked up. I'm going to do better. Like the world would be learned. a better place. Yes, absolutely. Like, and you know, especially when you're talking about like a workplace scenario, it can be so terrifying to admit faults for something like that because people are afraid they're going to get fired or afraid yeah. they're going to lose their job, you know? And that's, a big part of the stigma too like <clears throat> we talked about this at the panel but zero tolerance policies absolutely don't work because if you're yeah. not investing in your employees enough to like sit down and have a conversation to yeah. try and like suss out the root of you know harmful behavior and to try and help them make totally. better choices then you're just passing the buck because they're just going to exactly. go somewhere else and get a exactly. job somewhere else and do the same thing because exactly. they won't realize it's like if you <laughs> If you try to blacklist someone from the industry, they're just going to go to another, like someone's going to hire them. They're going to like how many times this year, I don't know if you know about this, but how many times like in the past, like year, year and a half, have we tried to like blacklist someone for sexual harassment and then they just moved to another city and they're still doing the same shit in another city. Absolutely. Like it's not like actually keeping the industry safe. It's doing more harm than good in there, my yes. personal opinion. And like... It it plays into the whole like counter or cancel culture mm -hmm. thing and like cancel culture like I definitely was like all for it at one point in time because I was um, experiencing like sexual harassment and I was like fuck this person it's like it comes from like a place of anger but like when you like get out of that and you're just like looking at it from like the bigger picture it's like okay well you know that person is gonna go somewhere and get like another job and like I li like literally can't do anything about it yeah and I think that the a big shift that we're kind of starting to see and that I'm really excited to see more of is that shift away from canceling people and more in the terms of like um rehabilitation and reparation yeah like redemption seeing, culture yeah absolutely like seeing someone be able to say like oh my gosh I made this huge mistake and so I'm going to educate myself and I'm going to continue to be active and mm -hmm. like try and help this issue keep this issue yeah. from happening again yeah you know and like the survivor of someone who has like experienced you know sexual harassment or sexual assault like they don't have to be the ones like helping the person to redeem themselves like by any means. But I mean, like, I, I think that comes with like a lot of personal work in general. And like going back to the fact that it's like a whole ego situation, like a lot of the people who are doing like a lot of the people who are perpetrating and doing the sexual harassment acts, sexual assault acts, like are the ones that like typically they don't really actually want to redeem themselves. I know sometimes they do, but I feel like I have found that um, they're like, no, I'm not doing anything wrong. Yeah. You know? Well, you know, it's it's interesting. Like, like you said before, like we're all humans. And, you know, I look at 
things that I've done in my life. And I have by no means been a perfect human and I have no. absolutely failed. And <laughs> I mean, it's like, I have by no means have, you know, lived a perfect life and I've definitely caused harm to people in the yeah. past, but it's about like what happens when is that moment that you feel comfortable and secure enough to expand your awareness and to make you know, your interactions in this yeah. world about more than just your experience. Totally. And empathize and value other people's experiences. Yeah, totally. And, um, hi. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, I think like the beauty of living a human experience is that we have the conscience to like evolve. Like that's the beauty of life is like you can continuously involve, like evolve, not involve. And you can, like, grow as a human being. And, I mean, like, the the world is just changing in general. Like, I definitely feel like the world is definitely becoming, like, more, quote-unquote, woke or awake to these things that are happening. And, like, I've definitely seen the shift of being, like, a more progressive culture in general in the last, like, thinking back 10 years you know what I mean yeah well I mean it's incredible like some things are changing really quickly and Mm -hmm. then some things are not changing quickly at all but one of the things that's so amazing about the time we're living in is that people have a platform to get their voices out to talk about their experiences yeah totally all right let's get in this first segment what's your death meal My death meal. Yeah, if you knew you were going to die tomorrow. Oh, girl. My death meal. This is so funny uh, <laughs> that you should ask me this because I have a very specific death meal, and it's the same death meal as Timothy McVeigh. <laughs> oh, I don't know who that is. Who He's is that? the Oklahoma City bomber. <laughs> oh, my God. On death row. No. His last meal was two pints of mint chocolate chip ice cream. I would go for the full gallon. If I'm going to die tomorrow, like, why not? But – just to gorge myself on ice cream. That would be absolutely it. That's it? Oh, for sure. Just absolutely. ice cream? Yeah. Okay. I I'm, I mean, that's the the pain of being, you know, lactose intolerant. As you Not eat being cheese. Able to, as you <laughs> well, I mean, milk and cream are, like, a very different situation. Yeah. Than like, yeah. But, like, yeah, it's like, okay, if I'm going to die before the stomach cramps kick in, <laughs> hook me up. I'm like, my lactose intolerancy is like a roller coaster ride. And I explain this to everyone and no Mm -hmm. one, everyone's like, wait, what? And it's like, I like literally use this analogy every time, but like, I'll like start to eat a lot of dairy and Mm -hmm. I'm like going up the roller coaster, right? And I'll like eat a lot of dairy, eat a lot of like ice cream, eat a lot of, and then I hit the tip, like the top of that roller coaster ride. And then my body's like, you've been eating too much dairy. And then like all of a sudden it'll be like down the roller coaster and it'll start to just pain. It will start to affect, it will start to affect me. And then like, I'll stop eating like have like heavy creams, like pasta with like mass amounts of cheese. And Mm -hmm. like, I'll stop eating um, ice cream. Or even if I do know I'm going to eat it at that point in time, I'll just take a lactate. Um, and then it will be like all over again, but it, yeah, I started to become lactose intolerant, uh, January, like almost, yeah, almost two years ago, January, 2017. And I remember it was like after, like shortly after, uh, New Year's Eve, 
And I was like, why does my stomach keep hurting? Like, what is going on? And like, I had um, just finished antibiotics for a UTI. So I was like, well, it's not a UTI. Like, it's nothing like down there, but it's like in the pit of my, like, you can feel it in the pit of your stomach. Oh, yeah. It's a very specific pain. It is. And I was just like, well, what the fuck is going on? Like, I can't poop right. (laughs) I went to my doctor and she's like, "You, you know, I was 26 at the time. She said, you know, right around your age is when people start gaining allergies, try cutting dairy out. And I immediately went from that doctor appointment to a Dunkin' Donuts and got a bagel with cream cheese. <laughs> and my stomach instantly started hurting. I was like, cream cheese, dairy. Be the dairy. And I was like, oh, shit. So then, like, I would just, I was like, well, I'm not going to give up on fucking dairy. And I was working... I'm obviously in a restaurant and my, I knew my, uh, head chef, executive chef was lactose intolerant. And I like went up to him. I was like, I'm lactose intolerant. Like I just found out. And he like grabbed me by both shoulders, looked me in the eyes. Like you're going to get through <laughs> Cause he just like does the same shit. Like he'll just like, he's like, what am I not going to eat cheese? I'm like, yeah, you're, it's like, this is like, if you're like a big foodie like me, Absolutely. like, it's like, so just, hard. Like there's no, yeah, I, uh, you can't quit it. You can't quit it. Yeah, Kira, the person who was on my first episode, she has, like, a very, like, intense um, gluten sensitivity. And her and I were talking about that. And she's like, yeah, I feel like people who are lactose intolerant are just like, whatever, YOLO. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yes, that's basically that my life. It's like as you get older, you think like, oh, like I'm getting older. I'm an adult now. Like willpower. I'm, I'm, I have like better willpower. And then you find out you're lactose intolerant. And yeah. you know how fast that shit goes right down the yeah. line. It's also, I, I have found out that it is... I mean, my body, I'm just doing, like, scientific research on my own body at this point. (laughs) But, like, I found out that it's, like, dairy in America, like, affects me more. Like, I can go to, like, all the dairy I ate in Spain Mm -hmm. when I was in Spain. I was fine. Weird. Mm -hmm. That is fascinating. It's because, what what do they do? They have to, unpasteurized. It's unpasteurized? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Neat. Mm -hmm. Lots. Something maybe to look forward to in my future. Yeah. And actually, my my old pastry chef from, like, the job I was working at right around that time, she's like, I know this is going to sound crazy, but dairy started affecting me before I went to, um, like, culinary school in France. Mm-hmm. And all the dairy I ate in France, I was fine. And I came back here, and I've been fine ever since. Shocking. Yeah. Oh, my God. So, like, I am I think I'm due for another trip to Europe. <laughs> else where they don't pasteurize their cheese let's <laughs> just go in and like get a french cow yeah. <laughs> and we'll just do it ourselves diy just, just have a cow in the backyard in, in the middle of chicago to give us our fix like, what the fuck is going on <laughs> okay <laughs> let's talk about toxic work environments <laughs> We like giggle through it. I'm only <laughs> laughing because I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> um, it's okay. Being uncomfortable manifests in many ways. Right. It's all right. Uh, <laughs> so I don't like. I've been like going like on rants and like how the uh, restaurant bar culture 
is so fucking toxic at times. Like every single, I, I'm like going through the history, my work history through my head and mm-hmm. every single job I've worked at has been toxic in one way or another, whether it be like other male employees, like belittling me because I'm a woman or like sexual harassment or even like women in management, like just like snapping and yelling and belittling me for like absolutely no reason because they're just having a bad day and like want to take it out on you and it's just like uh, and it's like every single job and it's like I mean I think that's the experience for a lot of people yeah and I mean I know the restaurant industry is very different than any other industry Mm -hmm. and I definitely think those things are probably much more prevalent because of the nature of the restaurant industry. Mm-hmm. Like we there we have our days off on Mondays and Tuesdays. Yeah. Mostly. Totally. Or so Sunday, Monday. We're not hanging out with our friends that are, you know, fucking lawyers and doctors. We're no, hanging out with friends that are lawyers and doctors. Or well or accountants or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> we're hanging out with our other industry friends. Uh-huh. And so those lines of professionalism get so thoroughly they get blurred. Very blurred. And it's, you know, it's easier to show your ugly sides to people that you are comfortable around. Yeah. And so that I think a lot of the like sniping and like negative, like toxic comments and like, you know, spilling your bad mood all over the place. Like mm-hmm. I think that happens so much in the restaurant industry. Totally. Like we all see it. Yeah. It, it's funny that you mentioned that because I'm also a yoga teacher. And um, when I, before I went to Tales for my first time, which was June, July, July, mm-hmm. I had to like announce to my class, like, hey, I'm not going to be here this week, going to New Orleans. And like one of my students was like, oh, where are you going to New Orleans? Where are you? Like, da 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 da. I was like, I'm going for this thing called Tales of the Cocktail. It's like a big, like, bartender, like, hospitality like event and it was like oh do you do you guys drink there and it like he like questioned like like oh do you like he was like like, trying to figure out if it was a party or not yeah and he was like do you is is that kind of unprofessional to drink and I was like well we're bartenders (laughs) but it's like at the same time it's like yeah like those lines like are kind of blurred between Mm -hmm. like professionality and unprofessionality because like in any other industry it's like you're not gonna go in and like drink at work and I know like a lot of places like don't allow you to drink at work but then there's like way more places that are like oh if your friend comes in you can like have a shot with them and it's difficult you know because like you don't go like if you're an accountant when people come to you into your place of work they're not drinking while they're there and like we are even if it's not the employees like our work environment there is drinking present yeah sometimes heavy drinking yeah and it's part of what we're doing and like you have to taste the cocktails you have to educate yourself on wines and spirits and beers and you have to drinking it is Uh part of what that is yeah I mean like I've been on like both sides I've been in places where it's like you can drink as much as you want at work as long as you can count money at the end of the night which has been very toxic but I've also worked in places where like very no strict drinking policy Mm -hmm. like even if you taste this wine you have to spit it out and like I mean the toxic work environments happen in both you know what I mean sure it's like sometimes it's not the drinking sometimes it's just the culture of like restaurants bars in general it's like that Mm -hmm. I feel like I it's taught 
You know what I mean? Like with management, like, like someone's manager taught that person that it was like, okay to act that way. And then that person, it's like a trickle down effect. And then that person became a manager and they're like, oh, this is okay to talk to my employees this way. So I'm going to do too. And it's like, like, where does it stop and how do you change it? And where does it end? And it's like, kind of this like, like, teeter-totter it's like do I say something mm-hmm. and risk losing my job it's like the same thing with coming forward with sexual harassment it's why we don't yeah, want to like fear, for, up. fear like, for retribution is definitely very very real it's like am I getting thing. paid enough to go down this rabbit hole and do all this emotional labor to unpack it with yeah. this person because I'm I work in the restaurant industry <laughs> right like, I do not like I and I'm generally no none I'm of us are being paid enough. like uh, <laughs> yeah. if I were making 70 grand a year that would be tight but I don't so it's like where like how I mean we this is an open discussion like, I mean it's really interesting to me that you talk you're talking about the trickle-down effect of people in leadership mm-hmm. because so much of what we see when people are tapped to move into leadership roles Mm -hmm. is that they were really good at like, oh, this person is a really good bartender and we need a bar manager. So they're our best bartender. So we'll put them in a bar management position. But that does not necessarily equate. Just because someone's good at a job doesn't mean that they're good in a position of power over other people. No. Like, God, that was a thing that Uh, my ex is so shitty, but this is like one thing he said that was on point. And he's like, (laughs) all these fucking people like put like semi good bartenders in positions of management when they don't know how to fucking manage people. When I was like dealing with like another toxic work environment and I was like, do I, what should I do here? And he was like, send an email. And then I sent an email and I got fired. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, like, um, I also, I made a meme a while ago and it was like, just because you have withstood a toxic work environment, the longest does not make you equipped to be a manager. Like that's often like seniority does not make you a manager. And that's often what we see happen in restaurants and bars. It's yeah. like, just cause you've worked there the longest does not make you absolutely like give you the tools for leadership and management roles. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the really um, good things that I think is a nice litmus test for people in positions of leadership is how well and how comfortable someone feels with the concept that if something harmful happens in your workplace, it doesn't, it's not isolated to that one person. Yeah. Something happened or was said or was done that made that person feel comfortable to do that harmful thing. Yeah. And it's about addressing the culture as a whole and if you feel equipped to step into that aspect of leadership then you might be a good leader Mm -hmm. but if you don't and that makes you feel like it's completely over your head and you're not equipped to deal with those things then maybe you're not yeah totally (laughs) like man I've been saying this for like a couple years now but like I mean, I feel like I'm a pretty good leader, definitely. Like I said, we're all human and we're all constantly learning. But at this point, I feel like I would be a great manager just because I know what not to do. Because <laughs> I've experienced such horrible management in my short career in hospitality already. And it's just like, it's mind-blowing. It really is mind-blowing. Like I, I, I mean, like I said, I think a lot of people probably have 
an extremely similar experience to the one that you're oh, describing. For, for sure. sure. <laughs> for sure. Jinx. Uh, let's get into this next segment. Guilty pleasure. Okay. <laughs> Buckle in. <laughs> Buckle up. <laughs> oh my god, it's so... I honestly am shocked that I'm going to divulge this. <laughs> it's so bad. Olive juice. Olive juice? Olive juice. Brine. Olive brine. I'm like a jar of olives. <laughs> Ew. Yeah. <laughs> Gross. Uh-huh. I hate olives. <laughs> It's just salty olive water, and it is so good. I used to pour some from behind the bar into, like, a shot glass and sip it as I was going through my shift because it's so deeply delicious. And there, I can't even tell you how many people that I've worked for that have thought I was drinking on the job. because I And I was like, it's not what you think. Taste it. <laughs> it's all the juice. <laughs> and then the most horrible look comes over their face. And they're like, what is the matter with you? <laughs> what is the matter with you? I'm just a salty, salty lady. Oh I need it. I need it. <laughs> I, I like my medicine. I'm a Taurus <laughs> and we love food so much. Um, and olives are just, man. Those are like, there's like one of... There's three things that I don't do, and olives is on that list. And I don't, like, I don't know why. Like, it's just, like, it's, like, a pungent taste for me, honestly. Like, and people are Oh, like, they're a lot. They're not mild. Yeah. People are like, well, you're not having the right olives. I'm like, I've had so many different kinds of olives, and every time, like, it, like they say that whoever they is, they say that your taste buds change every seven years. Oh, yeah. So, like, I'll go through these three things, like, once a year, right? I'll be like, sure. okay, I'm going to try it again. Like, maybe my taste buds change and these three things still stay the same. So the next um, kind of sector of RCA that you want to roll out is public programming, you're yeah. saying? And you want to do, like, different, like, sectors of different things within the industry yeah we're so we're focusing on so it was a big response to the launch event was what is your next event going to be and so we realized we really needed to get um some kind of public programming started so we want to do we're doing a, a social justice series where we're talking about different social justice issues and how they affect the industry okay our, our first one is going to be about allyship um, because I mean, it's a, it's such a prevalent theme that we're seeing, mm -hmm. you know, um, people either that don't identify as allies that really have no reason to, that totally should when they, when, you know, they examine their values and, you know, their belief systems totally. or people that do identify as allies, but don't really have any actionable tools that go along with that. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So we're doing this allyship workshop in January. And the goal of it is for everyone that leaves to feel very comfortable identifying as an ally and to have some idea of, of an actionable tool that they can take into their workplace totally. to attach to that identity. Yeah. I think that's also like, a, especially with um, allyship is, I think it's very important in 
especially in Chicago when we're super duper segregated. Like we're one of the most segregated cities in America. At one point in time, we were rated number one. And like, yeah, people, especially white people need to know how to be better allies. And, you know, a lot of the time people of color, like, don't feel comfortable speaking up for themselves in workplaces because like we Absolutely. stated before, like A, B, and C, like don't want to get fired, like da da da, don't want to lose their job. And you know, it's it's like people, white people need to fucking speak up for like our homies more often. Or even if they're not like our homies, like our colleagues and like the people, teammates, the like, people that like work next to us like Mm -hmm. fighting literally sometimes services like fighting in a war sometimes you know like and yeah even if it's men being better allies for women or I mean transgender women yeah that's a really great thing too it's like the concept of who can you be an ally to yeah that's great I mean everyone everyone. and no matter like what background you're coming from even if you do fit into a marginalized category mm-hmm. like there are still other people that are coming from different experiences that yeah. identify in different ways where you you're, you're still an ally to someone else like yeah I I personally I'm a woman I identify as queer and I am constantly learning how to be a better ally to other people on the LGBTQ plus spectrum mm-hmm. And I'm also constantly, yeah, and I'm constantly learning how to be a better ally to other women, women of different colors and different backgrounds. And yeah, I mean, I mean, there's really no end. And like being an ally is such a great thing because it really helps to like crack open that door of awareness. Totally. Totally. That it's, it's very like, it's not without having that defensiveness, like it allows somebody to expand their awareness, not because of something they've done, but because they're choosing to try and start on a journey to be part of the solution. Exactly. And it's a never ending process. People are like, Oh, I learned this much about being in LA. I'm good. It's like, no, it's like this second ongoing. It's completely ongoing ongoing because you have to constantly, like, especially for like you and me as white women walking through this world, it's like we've literally been trained and like ingrained in our minds that like we have this privilege, right? Mm-hmm. And we like have to constantly like unravel that, and it's like an everyday process. And like, pe- like a lot of people out there think like, oh, I like went to this workshop, or like, ooh, I just started following this person on Instagram, and like, da-da-da-da. it's like no, like you. Like, the second you, like, think that you, like, have learned so much, like... Yeah. the second there, you think you're done, you're dead. No. The, yeah. There's, like, going to be, like, a wall that you hit, and you're like, oh, fuck, I have so much more to learn. Yeah, absolutely. And I think overall in the world, people have this, like, idea that they, like, stop learning. And it's like, no. Like, like, like I said earlier, it's, like, the beauty of, like living the human experience is like constantly learning constantly evolving like constantly like trying to make yourself in the lives around you like better you know what I mean and I mean that's the whole purpose of this podcast (laughs) (laughs) shameless (laughs) self-promotion but yeah like yeah allyship is really important do you have any other um uh workshops uh planned 
Yeah, I mean, there are some really great people that have uh, reached out that they're interested in doing things. So we have a couple of topics in the mix. Um, you don't have to announce them if you're not ready. <laughs> well, I mean, we're also very much open to suggestions. Yeah. Like we, this one about allyship came about because I was very passionate about doing something about allyship. Yeah. Um, because I found myself constantly in these spaces where I was surrounded by mostly cis females. Yeah. And I was like, where are all of the other people? Yeah. Like the restaurant industry is such a diverse industry it and is. it's filled with so many people from so many different walks of life. Mm -hmm. And why does it seem like all the people that I'm seeing in these spaces are remarkably similar? Yeah. <laughs> um, so that was something I'm very passionate about, but you know, we're, like I said, we're open to it. If someone else has something that they feel like they're really into that they're passionate about we want to hear about it because we'll put, it our, yeah, <laughs> we'll put it into our programming totally all right let's get into this last segment okay high thoughts high thoughts you don't have to be high okay it's just like silly thoughts that you might have been having lately like, i had like a really i had a very silly thought today I mean, I'm, I feel like my brain is like 90% silly thoughts. Okay. But, um, I, so I was working in a coffee shop earlier today. Okay. Um, <laughs> and this guy, uh, this barista handed me my latte and um, soy milk latte. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I just had this hilarious thought. It was like, what if I reacted as if I didn't know that latte art was usually a heart on top and that I acted like I thought that he did it just for me. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I just can't believe you. I'm so, this is really shocking. Like, oh my God. This is like the craziest thing. <laughs> is this for, for me? For me? Oh my god. Just for a second, I Just was like, like, how thoroughly could I really freak somebody out right now? Yeah. I like, number one, has this woman never seen a latte before <laughs> in her entire life? And number two, am I married now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I always like to think that, like, depending on where you go, like, sometimes there's that random barista that's like, I'm going to show off my latte art. Yeah, and it's like every, for you. Yeah, like, it's uh, like every other barista like doesn't do latte <laughs> art in the same place, you know. <laughs> That's I, funny. I always thoroughly failed at latte art. I was so horrible at it. It always just looked like it. I was like, it's abstract. It's a beautiful representation of your soul <laughs> to you from me. I, um, you're very welcome. <laughs> I, I feel like I... I I was um, very good in it. Maybe, like, three out of the ten times. I don't know what. Like, I don't, like, I think it's, like, you think, you know when you think about something too I much think, yeah. and you're just, like, oh, I'm thinking about it too much and now I'm, like, <laughs> fucking it up. Like, it's, like, all in your head kind of thing. Oh, but, yeah. yeah. I used to be a barista, like, a while ago. So, yeah, it was, like, three out of ten I would get the heart down I don't know how people like do all the crazy other like lo like the leaves like the shocking. trees and it's all that it's really shocking there needs to be a lot more recognition for like beautiful <laughs> well there's lattes. competitions there are competitions yeah. but just like going and paying for it like getting a latte and then having this like perfect beautiful thing it's yeah. like man like th there needs to be applause <laughs> like <laughs> there's some kind of recognition there's, for what just happened there's something really I think poetic about uh temporary art 
Oh, like, yeah. Uh, it truly like, reflects life, though, doesn't it? The fleetingness of I life. I think that's uh, – I, I hate Brady Man for many reasons, but that's, like, <laughs> one of the reasons why Brady Man is really beautiful because it's, like, people build the scene. Yeah. Burn it down. <laughs> it's just like us, man. One day we all will die. And so also must this latte. <laughs> what about you? Have you had any high thoughts lately? Oh, um – Gosh. Sometimes to get through, like, the closing part of my shift, mm-hmm. I have to drink coffee. Mm-hmm. And if anyone knows me, they know that I'm really sensitive to caffeine. <laughs> like, <laughs> sometimes if I, like, even with, if, like, for instance, if I chug a matcha latte, um, I will be like a little kid bouncing off the walls and it is terrifying, <laughs> but like, I'll just be like, ah, and I'll like get through it like 10 minutes later and I'll be fine. But every once in a while, like, like I, I have that tipping point where I'll be like, I have to take like little baby sips. Right. Mm-hmm. And it was like, a, I think this was like right before I left for Portland cocktail week actually. And, um, I was like. Going to the back to, like, get cleaning tools to break down my bar. And, like, I was just, like, rambling on to myself because I was high as shit on caffeine. <laughs> so this was a high thought because I was high on caffeine. Yeah, caffeine is and a man. People need to recognize it as a drug. <laughs> For people like me, they really need to start recognizing caffeine as more of a drug than people actually do. <laughs> That's very <laughs> it's like the Absolutely. most normalized drug that we do. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. Anyway, so I was like rambling on to myself and I was like, man, you know, some days I just really want to know what it's like to be a cis white dude and walk through this world with like no care at all. And I was just like rambling and rambling. And then it turned into like, me rambling off about like plastic in the ocean. <laughs> and right, that's it. Yeah. I don't even know how it tra- transpired into that, but this is like it seems my, like a very organic thought process. <laughs> this is like my ADD brain. And um, we have this really sweet Canadian boy that works on the line, and he's so nice because he's Canadian and Canadians are sometimes very very nice and um I was like the world's gonna end in 2050 and the scientists are predicting it and uh this guy was like well you know, like I feel like they're gonna do something right I was like you know what these oil companies are gonna go in and instead of doing the right thing and ending oil production and ending like oil usage they're gonna find a way to turn all of the plastic into food for all of us non-one-percenters to eat. Oh, my God. And he's like, that's a great idea. How long have you been thinking about that? I was like, I literally just pulled that out of my ass. <laughs> but, yeah, um, my predictions are that the the scientists that are uh, being paid by the oil companies are going to figure out a way to, like, keep producing plastic and keep plastic happening in the oceans and we're going to end up fishing for plastic and we're going to turn that into food or something useful. Mom, I caught a pack of six, <laughs> six pack ring. <laughs> Time for dinner. It's going to be great. 
And then all the one percent are still gonna like eat like mass amounts of meat and stuff like that. Yeah. Those are really that's a really good one. I mean, I, I really I'm a very big fan of any kind of conspiracy theory. Me too. And that's a deep one. Have you heard the one about the mermaids? No. Uh, there are human human beings, living, breathing human beings functioning in our society right at this moment, Allie. That are mermaids? That believe <laughs> that mermaids are real oh, and I'm... that the U.S. Navy has known about it and has been keeping them secret for oh. decades. I mean, I kind of feel like mermaids are real. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Man, did I not read the room on that one. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I just really, like, I mean, I just kind of really want to be a mermaid one day and just, like, swim in the ocean and be able to breathe underwater. That's why I really want to believe that they're real. That would be, I mean, I find that terrifying. I would oh, really? be so scared if I could breathe underwater. You know, do you remember that, like, Disney movie? Uh, oh, shoot. What was it called? It was, like, the 13th year. Uh-uh. Where the kid turns into a mermaid. Uh-uh. Man? Mer- Wait, was mer- it on, person? like, Disney Channel when we yes. were kids? It was, oh, like, a made Disney yeah. like, TV movie. What yes. are those Disney movies? I found it completely terrifying. terrifying. I Well, love... there's just something about deep water. It really mm. freaks me out. <laughs> um... I'm indifferent to it. Like, I, I feel like if I were by myself in mm. deep water, I would be like, ah! but if I'm, like, with other homies and we're just, like, chilling. Swimming around. Swimming around. Yeah. If I got, like, homies with me in, like, a pack, like, a pack of mermaids with me. Yeah. I mean, I, maybe that's a good point. Yeah. But if you're, like, alone, like, if you're, like, what is that one kid, oh, what was his name? This happened, like, in the early late 90s maybe early 2000s but he was like stranded in water and like got picked up on the shore and he was fr- he was from somewhere in like maybe Mexico or South America are you talking about the like the child yeah the child yeah it was uh what was oh, his name hell. google I feel like he was from like Cuba maybe <laughs> I'm not sure how to say that with any more implied question marks at the end of that sentence. We're going to... I feel like he was from Cuba. His parents... Ilian Gonzalez. Ilian Gonzalez. Yes. Where was he from? He was from Cuba. Cuba. Yeah. His parents, like, put him on a raft and, like, sent him to, like, seek asylum in America. Yeah. And absolutely I, terrifying. There was a whole movie about there it. There were freaking sharks in those waters, man. Right, five year old became the center in Miami. Yeah, yeah. Cuba to Miami. That is insane. Yeah, fully terrifying. So, like, yeah, if it were like a situation like that, I would be fucking so terrified. Like, but if I'm like with homies and we're just gonna like you know bring like mass amounts of weed and just like go on a raft. Maybe not as much. And a lot of food, of course, because we'll, yeah. we'll have munchies. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta be prepared. Oh, <laughs> um, okay, let's get into some questions. What, like, part of a toxic work environment is, like, your major, like, sting in your side? Ooh. Um... Like, they're, they're all a pain in the butt, in my opinion. Yeah. But, like, what is, like, the one where you're just like, this is fucking killing me? Yeah, I think it's the things that seem so innocuous that those moments where, like, something happens and you're aware that it's small and you talk yourself out of confronting it. Yeah. Because you convince yourself that it's not worth it. Yeah. 
I think that's the biggest thing. But I mean, and that can be anything, and it can be anything, yeah. and like it can be like a joke, or it can just be the way that someone says a certain thing, or yeah. it can be you know whatever. But it's really tough in those moments because you know no one wants to feel like they're in a position where you know they're like nitpicking or henpecking someone or like yeah. you know bringing things up just to be a problem like all all the little things that can that you use to convince yourself that you know whatever you're experiencing isn't worth addressing totally like that's always really rough yeah I've been thinking about that like a lot like the past like week and it's like Man, like, am I just so used to living a traumatic life that I just, like, don't address these things because I'm, like, used to, like, abuse in some way or another? I mean, I think it's definitely – it's really fair to, you know, not feel like it's your responsibility all yeah, the time. And totally. to, to use your judgment to, like, protect yourself. But it's definitely – to me, that translates to, like, leadership and consciously creating a thoughtful culture in mm-hmm. your workplace to because you want to be in a situation where people feel comfortable and okay speaking up in those moments yeah totally okay we're gonna end this episode on this final question but what change do you wish to see in the industry or the world in general oh wow before the world ends in 2050, because that's what <laughs> scientists are, are predicting. Yeah. <laughs> um, what change do I wish? I mean, I wish to see more empathy. I wish to see more empathy from people in our, you know, this industry. It's a beautiful, incredible industry it where it doesn't matter, you know, your level of education has very little bearing on how far you go. It's all mm-hmm. about how hard you work and how talented you are. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't matter if you've, you know, if you're coming from um, a situation where you like are a parent or you're, you know, have had jail time, whatever, yeah. like if you're in the industry and you work hard and you're like open to learning you, and you're open to learn, you can succeed and yeah. you can go very far. And I think that's really incredible. And there, there's a reason that there are so many different kinds of people that For are sure. present in the restaurant industry. It's such a diverse industry. And, you know, I think that we owe it to ourselves to start consciously trying to be more empathetic. Yeah, totally. I like that answer. (laughs) Well, thank you for joining me this evening. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. It has Um, been. I can't wait for the social justice allyship workshop in January. You said it is, right? Yeah. All right. It's going to be good. Yeah. Keep your eyes out for that announcement. Hopefully every one of my listeners can come to <laughs> if you're in Chicago we welcome you want to know okay bye bye